communication. After all, how many of us have great friends that we've never talked to, ever? And I know that there's unique times where we can have a friend that we're so close to that we can spend uh, months and months without even talking to them, and then whenever you get to talk again, it seems like things pick up right where they left off, and those are truly special friends. However, our relationship with the Lord cannot be like that. We have to have constant communion with our Heavenly Father. Uh, If you guys have your Bible today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we did this morning. Uh, While I do love preaching, I'm also a very big teacher, and uh, primarily I feel like my calling is to teach. I love teaching the people of God the Word of God so that they can be conformed into the image of the Son of God. It is truly a great blessing, and uh, we're going to be jumping around to a few different passages. And rather than just taking a single passage and teaching you guys that passage, I'm going to do something that I think is a little unique. I'm going to teach you guys a really good Bible study method. Because after all, like I said this morning, the whole of the Christian life is to read and study the Word of God so that we can preach the good news of the gospel. So our first book that we will be stopping at is the book of Ezra. Uh, chapter 7 and verse 10, and this is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It says in Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, uh, or Ezra 10, 7, my bad. One second, I got mixed up. I accidentally turned to Ezekiel. <laughs> It is Ezra 7, in my bad. I thought it was right, but since I was in Ezekiel, I was looking at the wrong passage. I'm like, that doesn't look right. All right, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Uh, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And this is the statutes and judgments of God or the statutes and the commandments of God. And to give you guys a little bit of a context what's going on, as I mentioned this morning, Ezra is one of the great men of faith who helped teach Israel who they were as Israelites, who they were as the chosen people of God. At a time when they were stripped of their identity, they no longer knew who they were as God's chosen people, God's covenantal people. So Ezra uh, stood up, and we believe Ezra is the one who's compiled the Old Testament in the way that we have it today, and that he stood up among men And he explained the truth of God's word to them so that they might know who they are and who God is. So we're entering into a people who had no knowledge of God. And for many in the church, that's where they are. They have no genuine knowledge of God. Uh, I'm probably not alone in saying this, but I'll admit, even as a Bible college student who has two degrees, at times I have a hard time reading and studying the Bible. Because the Bible is extremely confusing because I was born in the 21st century in a Western culture, and it was written in the 1st century in a Near East culture, and even the Old Testament was written longer than that ago. So it can be challenging to approach the Bible and learn how to study it, but here we see some important things that Ezra says. It says that Ezra had prepared his heart, or he determined in his heart. We have to be determined to study the Word of God. So we have to have that determination in ourselves. We have to practice our spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, evangelism. Then it says that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to study the law of the Lord, to pursue the law of the Lord. And then it says 
after seeking to study the law of the Lord, he sought to do it. He sought to obey the law of the Lord. And after that, he moved to teaching the law of the Lord. So here we have a progression of thought from determining to study the law of the Lord, actually studying it, obeying it, and then teaching it. Because after all, you can't genuinely teach something that you don't know. And if you know it, you are going to obey it because we love God. And the um, Bible study method I'll be teaching you guys tonight is called the Ransom Bible Study Method. Now, this is not original to me. Uh, some pastors I know in Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois came up with this method, and I think it is amazing. And it's what I use to study. And I'm going to walk you guys through a passage of Scripture as we uh, follow this method so that we can learn as the people of God how to study the Word of God so that we can be enriched and know the truth of God's Word. As we saw this morning, knowledge of God's Word correlates directly to our, to our obedience. So, I want you guys to turn over to the Gospel of Luke, and we will be in Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And this will be the main text that we walk, uh, walk through today. And starting in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift his head so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth, exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So this is probably one of my favorite parables in the entire Bible because in reality, I feel like it's a parable of me. Uh, the church that I grew up in, it really focused on if you're not doing this checklist of things, then you are not a Christian. And that's not the Christian message at all. We believe in justification by faith in Christ alone. Granted, these good works will flow out of our relationship, but we're not doing this to have a right relationship with God. You know, just because I didn't share the gospel today doesn't mean that I'm not a genuine Christian. But as a genuine, genuine Christian, I am going to share the gospel because I love God and want to obey his commandments. So as believers, we love the Bible because of one simple reason. It is God's word to us. God has given us his word. Have you guys ever thought about how amazing that is? I mean, the Lord God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, who created everything that you see, who created you, gave you his word so that you might know him and have a personal relationship with him. This is a reality that a lot of us take for granted. I mean, when we think about the Bible, a lot of us probably have a handful in our house. Sometimes if, you know, our shelf is uneven, we're like, you know what? I'll take out my pocket New Testament and shove it underneath the, the dresser. That way it's more stable. I mean, we have no respect for the Word of God. Where people in other countries, if they even get a page of Scripture, they hold on to that and they cling on to the Word of God because that's all they have. We have been spoiled with Bible translations. We are spoiled with great men of God who have taught the truth of Scripture for such a long time. And the fact that we can gather here freely with no fear of persecution is a great priv privilege and blessing. 
And like I said, I'll be teaching you guys and we'll be walking through a method. And this is just that. It's a method. It's not the only way to study the Bible, but in my opinion, I feel like it's a very good way. It focuses on a lot of the things that we tend to overlook. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but a lot of the time when I read my Bible, I read so I can check off the box that said, I read my Bible today. We get into that mindset of this is what is expected of me. It's just what we do as Christians. But when we realize what the Word of God is and try to devote ourselves to the Word of God, we'll develop a deeper love for God. And as we develop a deeper love for God, we'll be transformed by the Word of God. This Word gives us new life, and that is amazing. And an aspect of studying the Word of God is theology. I love studying theology. A lot of people think that it's an icky word, that that's only for pastors and preachers, but... Theology is for everyday believers, everyday theology for everyday Christians. Uh, Theology is made up of two Greek words, theos and logos, meaning God words or God discourse, talking about God. So even those who are atheists, if they even mention the name of God or think about God or have an opinion about God, they're theologians. Bad theologians in our opinion, but they are theologians nonetheless, nonetheless because they are speaking about God. And as we seek to talk about God and study the nature of God and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, the root of that has to be the Word of God. God has given us two sources of revelation. There is natural revelation as we can look around us. We see the trees, the mountains, and we say, wow, there has to be something great that has created these things. But then God has revealed to us in His Word His name, His nature, His character, and the plan of redemption. So as we read and study the Word of God, we learn the character of God and we can grow closer to Him. And the Bible is our sole sole source of the nature and character of God as Christians so that we can learn Him, know Him, and emulate His character into our lives. And like I said, this is the Ransom Bible Study Method. And the first thing we need to do whenever we seek to approach or study the Word of God is we actually need to read it. Uh, often we get discouraged when it comes to reading the Word of God because we don't know how much we should read. When I was younger, me and my friend came and had this philosophy, a verse a day keeps the sin away. does not work that well. We thought, as long as I just get a little bit of Bible, just one verse out of context, one verse in the middle of nowhere, they'll be good enough to ward off Satan and the entire demonic army that is after me as a follower of Christ. And boy, were we wrong. Whenever we seek to read the Word of God, we have to be determined to read the Word of God and set parameters of, I'm going to read this much of the Word of God. And at times, it can be intimidating because in the New Testament, you might want to take smaller passages, and in the Old Testament, take larger passages that cover whole stories. But you need to be determined and make up your mind, how much am I going to read of the Bible today? What passage am I going to study? And if you guys need help with this, I encourage you to reach out to leaders in the church and when you guys get a pastor, reach out to your pastor and say, hey, I want to learn how to study the Word of God. How should I break up passages of Scripture? An easy thing to do in the New Testament, take it paragraph by paragraph. Determine how much you're going to read and say, you know what, I'm going to take these five verses and I'm just going to immerse myself in these five verses. And then stick to it. Slowly study through passages of Scripture. And if you're feeling really audacious... Study through an entire book, section by section. That way, if you're reading a letter of Paul, for example, you go from his introduction when he says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the very end of it, you get to see how he was reaching out to this church and trying to pour into this church. You get to see the problems of the church. 
you are slowly studying this letter, and then you realize that you notice things that you never even noticed. I mean, as we read the Word of God, every single time we're probably going to notice something that we did not notice before. I can't tell you how many times I've read a passage of Scripture time and time again, over and over, and then I read it, and then I notice one word, and it changes all of the meaning. I remember uh, reading an account of Martin Luther when he got saved. He was reading a passage out of Romans, and he always hated reading Romans because it talked about the righteousness of God, and he always felt, or he always saw it as the righteousness of God that weighed heavy on him, the righteousness of Righteousness of God that declared judgment on him. The righteousness of God that was weighing on him and declared him to be filthy and sinful before God. And it discouraged him. It broke his heart. He said that he hated God when he thought about his righteousness. But then in an instance, he said it was like the gates of heaven were opened up to him. And he realized that it's not the righteousness of God that condemns me, but the righteousness of God that he gives me so that I can be right before his sight. And it changed everything for him. And if we're honest, I'm sure we've all had experiences like that as we read the word of God. We read something and we say, hey, I've never noticed this in scripture before. So the first thing we have to do is we have to read the word of God. Next, ask. Now, I love annotating. Um, I did not learn how to read until I was about nine years old, so a little bit late in life or later than most people. And I always had a hard time reading and trying to understand things, so I learned how to annotate at an early age. I usually have a highlighter or a pen or a pencil in hand. That way I can note things that I see in the text. That way I can circle things. That way I can highlight. If there's repeated words, you know, I'm going to do all of that. But one of the most important things you can do when you're studying a passage of Scripture is ask questions. That's how we learn. I mean, even from a young age, all of you who have children... Your children always come up to you and they ask you one question over and over and over. No matter how detailed your explanation is, your kid is going to come up to you, look you straight in the eyes, and say, why? I mean, they could ask you why the sky is blue, and for whatever reason, if you know exactly the reason why the sky is blue, and you tell them that, they'll look at you and still say, why? I mean, kids naturally learn by asking questions. It's who we are. It's who God has created us to be. We ask questions. That's how we learn. And how much more important is it to ask questions about the Word of God? And as I said, we'll be walking through uh, this passage in Luke, and we already read the text. We read it once, and and usually when you're studying, you want to read something several times and really get an idea of the flow of the text. But there are some questions that we should always be asking. A good question to ask. What does this passage tell me about the person and the work of God? And looking at this initial passage, we see that there were two men who went up to the temple. One was a Pharisee, a man who was regarded righteous among the people. And he knew it. You know, he had his coat straightened. He buttoned his button, he straightened his tie. I don't have my tie on now. But, you know, that's what he did. He knew how the people viewed him. He was almost like God manifest to the people, and he knew that. He knew how people viewed him. He was a Pharisee. He was a respectable individual. And, you know, shame on you if you even counter or even think poorly of this Pharisee because he is a man of God. That's who he was. And then over here, way off in the distance... We have the publican, a tax collector, a traitor of the people, someone who literally betrayed his brothers and sisters so that he could get rich on their own money. While they were poor and starving, they were living in luxury. This was the last person that deserved to be in the temple of the Lord. So what does this tell us about the nature of God? We see that the person who 
you know, in our estimation, deserved to be in the presence of God, while this one didn't. This one went home condemned, while the unworthy one went home justified. So what does this tell us about the person and work of God? God justifies those who are unworthy. We are the unworthy in the story. We're not the Pharisee. We're not the hero. We're not the good-looking, clean people. We're the people who betrayed our people, hurt them. We're the extortioners. That's who we are in the story. So it tells us that God is merciful on the brokenhearted. God is merciful to those who don't deserve it. Another question, what does this passage tell us about human nature and the world that we live in? Every time we read Scripture, we should ask ourselves that, ask ourselves that because it really diagnoses us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the time we'll think to, my, you know, think to ourselves, I'm not really that bad, am I? And for whatever reason, whenever we want to use an example of something that looks bad, we're like, well, I'm not as bad as someone like Adolf Hitler. But whenever you compare a sheep to grass, it's going to look white. But when you take that sheep and you compare it to snow, that's going to be the filthiest sheep you've ever seen. Which is why we need to compare ourselves to the standards set forth in Scripture. And here we see the depravity of man. In both of these characters, we see one who betrayed his people, but then one who thought that he was good enough to stand before God without the righteousness of God. Another good question. What does this passage tell us about, uh, or what commands are explicitly given in this passage? And here, we may not see any at first, but Jesus is talking to a group of people who were trusting in themselves for righteousness. And we see that the way that the Pharisee talked, he was talking about how, uh, how he gave tithes of all that he got and he fasted. So he was following the commands of God, but he was doing it because he wanted people to see how great he was. I mean, how many of us have done something to serve in the church so people think that we're great servants of the Lord? You know, we didn't do it to give God glory or because we love God or we want to serve God, but we did it because, you know, so-and-so was watching or maybe my grandmother asked me to and I don't want to let grandma down. I did that when I was younger. I love my grandmother and she's the one who took me to church. So if she said, hey, Alex, will you help with this? I said, absolutely, grandma, because I love you. Not because I love God, but I wanted to please my grandmother. Next, what sin is highlighted or condemned? And here we have a sin that's highlighted and something that is condemned. It's focusing on the pridefulness of the human heart. We have the Pharisee who was so full of himself, who he actually, it said he prayed thus with himself. And what this is conveying is he literally prayed this prayer to himself. He looked up to the heavens, and he started praying inwardly. He said, God, he was talking to himself because he was his own God, I thank you that I'm so great. I'm better than everyone else. I thank you that I'm humble enough to give with all that I have. I'm so humble that I fast more than you require. I'm so great. While when we look at the, uh, the publican, the tax collector, he got down on the ground and would not even look up towards heaven because he knew he was unworthy. said he beat his breast. He showed remorse. He knew that he stood guilty before God. So here we have the sin of pride and self-righteousness being condemned in this passage. Is this passage revealing God's commands or promises? Well, this is revealing a promise of God, that if we go before God with a humble heart and we recognize who we are, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I cannot do this without you. I understand that I'm walking before the presence of the one who created the universe, the Holy Lamb of God. I recognize that I am before the sovereign of the world, and I'm a sinner. God would have been perfectly just to leave us in damnation, to never interact with humanity after the fall. 
yet in his grace he chose to extend a hand of reconciliation. And that reveals to us a lot about the nature and the character of God. So he promises if we come before him with a humble heart and we realize who we are before God, that he will give us justification, that we can be made right before God. How does this passage connect to the whole of Scripture? As we talked about this morning, from Genesis to Revelation, there's a single story being told in the entire Bible. It's the story of redemption. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian who passed away back in 2017, referred to this as the story of dust to glory. We, as creatures of the dirt, have the privilege and the honor to be called sons and daughters of the living God. We are brought into the kingdom co-heirs with Christ. That is who we are. That's the story being told. And ultimately, it's not a story about us, but the story that we can attribute to God and His glory because He did this. He took a creature from the dirt and made it into something beautiful, a son and a daughter of God. I mean, that is really amazing. Then, how does this passage demonstrate the need for a Savior? Well, that's very clear in the passage. We see that the self-righteous Pharisee, he was his own Savior. He was trying to justify himself before God with his good works, trying to show himself that, you know, God, I deserve this because I'm obedient to your law. You know, I do more than what you require of me, but that's never been the purpose of the law. If you guys recall, in uh, the Old Testament, the law was given to the people before they were freed from Egypt. No. God gave the people the law after he freed them from Egypt. He didn't say, obey me. Follow after me, and then I will free you. He said, I have freed you. Now obey me. Love me. Seek after me. I've done this for you. I have freed you. Now love me. That is the command here. That is the entire story of Scripture. The fact that we have been freed from sin and death, and we are now able to freely choose to love and serve God and follow His commandments. That's what He requires of us. That's what He expects of us. To seek after Him. To pursue righteousness. And a final good question to ask, how does this passage relate to the person and the work of Jesus? Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no justification before God. If it were not for the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, we would all be damned and helpless. So this passage passage shows us that we cannot save ourselves, but we have to come before God humbly and recognize our need for Him, our dependency on Him. And then after that, after we have read the passage and asked some questions to figure out what this passage is really saying, we need to take notes. I already mentioned this a little bit with annotating, but really take notes on the passage of Scripture that you're studying. You know, I really enjoy journals and notebooks. You know, journaling is a hobby that I'm willing to splurge on a little bit because I enjoy studying Scripture. I enjoy it. You know, I'll I'll buy a nicer notebook. I'll buy nice pens. I really like the Pilot G2s. They just write so smoothly. I mean, Bible study is something worth investing in and learning how to take notes. And I promise you, I have at least 15 notebooks that are not filled that I've started. I mean, that's just the way that I am. I'm like, oh, I like this notebook. And then I just start using it, and then I put it down. I'm like, you know what? I have this other notebook that I like. But the point is, I'm still trying to be dedicated to using a notebook and taking notes on the passages of Scripture that I read. Because I'm able to track my progress and track where I am. And then when I read a passage, I can be like, man, I noticed this this time. But I noticed something even greater this time. And we get to see our progression of thought and our progression of growth as we study the Word of God. And then after that, you should summarize what you've read. A way to understand or a way to test to see if you've truly understood a passage of Scripture that you're reading. You know, spend time doing this, but see how 
succinctly how boiled down you can make a sentence that encompasses the entirety of what this passage is about. So some notes in a summary of this passage. We see that there are two men who are given two characters. Jesus was talking specifically to a group of people who are trusting in themselves for righteousness. And he opens up with a character who is trusting in himself for righteousness. So we already see that there's a parallel there. He was trying to diagnose the spiritual issue that these people had. And he was trying to show them the cure, which is humility and dependence on God. And here, the person who trusted in himself was the Pharisee, the teacher of God's law, the hero, the person everybody loved and looked up to, while the seeming villain of the story is the tax collector, the traitor. I mean, the, the Pharisee said, God, I thank you, I'm not an extortioner, an adulterer, or even like this tax collector, meaning he viewed this tax collector as lower than an adulterer or a prostitute. I mean, that's how I viewed them. And Jesus said that these people looked on others with content, meaning they're not even deserving to have the dignity of God on them. They, they don't deserve the imago Dei, the image of God in them. They're not worthy of even being human. That's how they viewed people. So we see that he's really trying to diagnose their problem, and their main problem focused on the fact that they trusted in themselves rather than God. And when we are God, we cannot love people. Because if we do not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we cannot love our neighbor with all that we are called to. So we see that, and then we see that at the end of the passage, the one who should have been justified was condemned, and the one who should have been condemned stood justified. I mean, that should blow our mind as believers. Because that's the whole message of the gospel, that though we deserve condemnation, we have been justified. And on judgment day... God will look at us and he will not call out all those sins in your life. He will look at you and he will see the righteousness of his son. And he will say, I declare you righteous. I mean, isn't that such good news? The fact that we will be declared righteous by the king of the universe, the one who knows all things. I mean, that's amazing. And then to really summarize this passage, all right, in this parable, Jesus shows us that the true way to salvation is through humility and dependence in God. And apart from Him, by any means of salvation, you know, if we try self-righteousness, it will always lead to eternal damnation. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I remember getting into a conversation. This is a small tangential um, conversation, but I remember getting into a conversation with my father, and it was after a friend of his passed away. And my dad was really worried and was unsure of his eternal state. And I said, well, did he know Jesus? He said he did not. But towards the end of his life, he he really started seeking after God. And I just hoped that was good enough. I said, Dad, that's not good enough. He said, well, certainly God will understand. I mean, he was seeking after him, but he wasn't. The Bible says naturally the man does not seek after God. Jesus said, if you try to come to me by any other means than me, you have no part with the Father. Jesus Christ is the way, the one and only way. So that is a short summary of what is going on here. And then we transition to a really important aspect, obey. This is one that we tend to neglect, we like to look over, or we like to make it very general. Like this passage of scripture tells me I need to read my Bible more. Well, that is a point of obedience, but this is when we really have to get down into the core of what this passage of scripture is telling me. 
we're trying to self-diagnose our, or we're trying to diagnose ourselves. What is this passage of scripture trying to teach me? How is this supposed to challenge me? How is this passage of scripture supposed to break me in my sin and conform me into the image of the eternal God? We're asking ourselves those hard questions. And we like to skip over this because at times it hurts. We have to look inwardly at ourselves. We have to admit the sin that we have in our life. We have to say, what am I struggling with? Where am I in this passage and how am I failing this passage? So in this passage, like I said, we want to consider ourselves, a lot of the time, we want to consider ourselves as the humble tax collector. That's who we like to view ourselves as a lot of the time. But more often than not, we're living and acting like the self-righteous Pharisee. We depend on our good works, our church attendance. So really, more than just saying that, you know, you guys are broken sinners who need grace, which that is the point, but Jesus is trying to say, you're trusting in yourself for righteousness. You're trusting in your own good works. You think that because you've done these things that you deserve to get into heaven when this man believes that he doesn't deserve it, but by my grace and goodness that he will. So we have to ask ourselves, in my life right now, in your life right now, where are you trusting in yourself, your strength, your service, rather than God? I mean, just think about that for a minute. Where in your life are you being more dependent on yourself than you are dependent on God? I mean, that's a hard thing to wrestle with. In what ways are you trying to justify yourself before God so that you don't have to submit to obedience toward Him or become fully dependent on Him? I mean, this is a hard truth to wrestle with. And then finally, the M in ransom stands for meditate. We have to carry the Word of God with us throughout the day. I try as hard as I can a lot of the time to get up early in the morning so I can read my Bible. I try to get up by 5, and more often it usually is 5.30, 6, 6.30, 7. I'm awful at it, but I'm working on it because I know that I need to start my mornings by reading the Word of God and spending time in prayer. And if we do that, we're able to take the passage of Scripture with us that we study, the one that we poured into and the one that has broken us over our sin and called us to a deeper devotion to Christ. And we carry that with us throughout the day. And as we meditate and we think about the law of God, we think about the commands of God, as uh, Psalm 1 says, that the man is blessed who meditates on God's law day and night. It's a continual thing. And as we carry God's word with us, we're constantly dwelling on it, thinking about it. We're going to see areas in our life where we're not obeying God's commands. And at times, maybe at first, you don't see where you're not obeying God's commands or where he's calling you to a deeper level of obedience. But if you're carrying that passage with you throughout the day, I guarantee you, you will see how far you fall short in that one day. I remember when I was younger, I was reading through a book. It was a, with a group of people. We were studying through a book. I can't remember the name of the book. But every single time, it was diagnosing a spiritual, sinful problem that a lot of people tend to have in their lives. Every single chapter, I thought, I don't deal with that. That very day, I struggled with that sin. That very day, I struggled with that temptation. I said, man... I am awful. Because when we wrestle with the word of God and we carry it with us, we see how deprived we really are because we're thinking about it. We're thinking about the law of God, the commands of God. And if we are constantly thinking about that, we will be convicted because it's been on our mind. 
Like, have you guys ever wanted to buy a new car and then you start seeing that car everywhere? It's because your mind is occupied with that. If you're focused or fixated on something, you begin seeing it everywhere. Like, if you develop a new favorite color, you start seeing that color everywhere. And you're like, man, I never realized how, col- or how popular this color was. And in the same way, when we're meditating on the law of God, we start seeing the effects of this passage everywhere. If we see a, maybe a passage that really highlights the depravity of man, how sinful and wicked we are, we're going to start seeing things like, man, we really are wicked. We are evil. We are sinful. But that will make us marvel at the grace of God all the more. One thing I think is very interesting, the word in Scripture used to meditate is the same word that they use for an animal that chews cud, that it eats and then it regurgitates and chews on it some more and then it eats again, which is honestly really disgusting to think about, but that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that we chew on and we always bring back to the front of our mind and then we swallow it again and just let it dwell and then we keep doing that to really let the Word of God soak into our spiritual DNA. And as a result of this, we'll know our Bible better because as we read and study the Word of God systematically, section by section, book by book, we get to see the story of redeeming grace throughout the entirety of the Bible. Uh, I was talking to a member this morning. I don't think I got a chance to catch her name. But she talked about how she appreciated me talking about the foundation of the Old Testament for what I was preaching in the New Testament. And I said, it is a shame because many people feel like we don't need the Old Testament. They say, you know what, we can just unhitch the Old Testament. We don't need it. But the Old Testament is the foundation for everything we believe as New Testament Christians. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, without the Old Testament, all of it's meaningless. I remember listening to one of these preachers who didn't believe in the need for the Old Testament, but he kept referring to the Old Testament, talking about the promises of the Old Testament. I'm like, huh talking about the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament, but you don't feel like we need it to preach and teach out of. He was talking about how Christ was the promised seed, how he was the promised sufferer, about all these things that were prophesied about Christ that were fulfilled in the New Testament, yet he doesn't see the need for the Old Testament. That is ridiculous. We need to study the entirety of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And I promise you, a lot of the time you guys will fail because studying scripture is hard. It's hard work because it's heart work. It's really trying to break us so that we can be conformed into the image of the Son of God. But as we wrestle with the hard truths of Scripture, we get to be conformed into the image and the glory of the Son of God. And that is one of the greatest truths that we can realize as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all this simply happens by reading and studying your Bible, God's written word to you. So my challenge for you today and this evening and this week, and you don't have to follow this method that we walk through with this passage, but I challenge you, be intentional about your Bible reading this week. Be intentional with your study. Don't just read a passage and check off the box, but really try to wrestle with the truth of Scripture and ask God, God, what are you revealing to me in your word? Because we believe what Paul says in Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching Reproof, correction, training in godliness, righteousness. It is the perfect word that will perfect us into the image and the glory of the eternal God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed us with to be able to gather here as your body, Lord. We pray that you continue to draw us closer to you, Lord. Convict us 
Allow us to read and study your word with ambition. Allow us to be dedicated to learn you. Lord, as we study your word, we get to hear your very heartbeat. We learn what's important to you. We learn uh, what's important for us, Lord. We pray that you continue to draw us to a deeper knowledge and understanding of your glory and your grace. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we do want to serve you. And we pray this in your Son's most holy, precious, and gracious name. Amen.